how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very, very special guest on with me today. I have Sindhu Joseph on. She is the founder and CEO of Cognicore Technologies. She is a PhD in AI and is a finalist for Google's Anita Borg Women in Technology Award and also an inventor of six U.S. patents in AI. Pretty sweet. Author of several leading journal publications in AI. And she also heads a global team of engineers, researchers, loves tracking, reading, and doing a lot of other outdoor activities. Happy to have you on, Sindhu. How's it going? Going wonderful. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> yes, I am pumped because uh, I think you're the first person ever on the podcast that has uh, six patents in AI. So congratulations to you. At least if they if they have, I don't I don't know. No, nobody's touched that. So congrats on that. So what we'll do is before we get in kind of on your a little more detail on on your background and, and about you, let's do a quick revenue rundown for everyone so they have some context about you, your organization, your team. So where are you at roughly in terms of your ARR? Uh, we are at 1.5 to 2 million in ARR uh, last year. Okay, excellent. Congrats. What's your go-to-market strategy? So we are today at direct-to-market. Direct to uh, we are focused on the large enterprises in financial services. Um, we are also exploring a partner-led um, uh, strategy as well. Okay, excellent. So direct sales plus potential partner. Uh, how large is your team? So we are uh, around 55 member team. Uh, 50 of them are engineers and the five uh, leadership team um, with one salesperson. Okay, gotcha. Hey, that's 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 good results for one salesperson. I assume you had a hand <laughs> in that as well. Okay, and then um, can you just give a really high level background about your solution? So. There's some context. Okay, so Cognicor is an intelligent business automation platform purpose-built for the financial services industry. Our focus is to accelerate the growth of financial firms by providing a scalable automation. And uh, given my background in artificial intelligence, I fundamentally believe that you know AI and automation can provide that um, uh, augmenting human efficiency at scale to uh, help business grow faster. Okay. I love that. I love that. We're going to definitely dig deeper into that. And then are you funded or bootstrapped? Are you funded or bootstrapped? So we are uh, more bootstrapped. We have a you know small amount of funding, around a million so far. And we are looking for our first institutional round pretty soon. All right. Well, that's a, that'd be a big event when that happens. So, so why don't we give you know kind of a little bit more background about you and, and how you got to this point? Um, obviously, an AI startup in SaaS with an enterprise sales motion, that's a lot to take on as a, as a technical co-founder. So let's, let's talk a little bit, like, how did you get here? Like, how, what was your journey? What happened? What did you do? And can you just walk us through that? Definitely. So, like, you know, there is a literally physical journey from, you know, uh, kind of tracing three continents I grew up in India and um, moved to Europe, lived there, lived in Spain for around 10 years, 
and now in the US, in the West Coast in Palo Alto. So there is a you know physical journey almost equal um, around 10 years each in each continent. And uh, I also moved through in terms of uh, my career path. Um, I'm a mathematician by profession and um, um, by training, and then um, moved to uh, doing a PhD in artificial intelligence. And I, by, um, by luck, my first job was also as a researcher in artificial intelligence. So I got a lot of exposure to the uh, technology, and I was very passionate about understanding uh, human intelligence and um, exploring the intelligence around nature and uh, AI provided the perfect platform for understanding more about our own intelligence by trying to create it. So that's that's my you know love story with AI and artificial intelligence, and um, I continue to kind of cherish that uh, journey. So uh, once I uh, completed my PhD um, yeah, from Barcelona, I decided to kind of um, uh, explore. Um, building, um, you know, starting something new, which is, you know, something that I haven't done before. And I'm very, ex um, very interested in uh, exploring paths that are unknown, uh, rather than like, you know, kind of going into uh, things that are, you know, obvious, the out outcome is pretty much like, you know, we can guess. So this was um, kind of very exciting, because, you know, I'm a technical uh, person, um, very strong technology background, no experience in business. So that kind of intrigued me in terms of like, you know, how do I, um, wh why not explore this path? And uh, that's the reason why I started Cognicore. Initially started as an automated complaint resolution platform. Uh, at that time, AI was not a, um, a fancy word, uh, not even something that ever, anyone thought could add value to uh, businesses. So it... Um, um, while the technology was very interesting, we did not um, was able to execute and um, uh, was not able to build customers uh, and traction. So we uh, pivoted, built a new company uh, around business automation, and that's um, that's a long journey. And um, uh, in the process, we also moved to the U.S. Uh, and today, our market is in the U.S. strictly U.S. Um, within financial services. We focus on wealth management and insurance um, carrier space. So that's that's how, you know, it all came together. Wow. So there's a lot to unpack there. Okay. So you're, what, I, what I heard you say, this was earlier on, is that you didn't have any business experience. You had technical experience. So was it all academic originally in terms of how you learned about AI? And is that is that what happened? Um, no, uh, as soon as I've completed my master's, um, I um, joined a multinational organization in India called Honeywell. And uh, I, was oh, recruited, Honeywell, yeah. um, I was recruited as the first uh, AI researcher in their research lab. And my director and myself was the only uh, team. Uh, I had no <laughs> AI experience. Um, and this was kind of baptism by fire. Um, so, you know, I worked in AI technologies by you know, exploring things and um, built solutions uh, for um, collision avoidance in you know, Honeywell um, aircraft, um, you know, systems, and also their industrial plant systems. So it was it's it was more an analyzing data and uh, trying to you know build solutions around that more predictive systems. So I spent um, around four or five years building that and realized that you know I want to deep dive into AI. Uh, that's when I moved to Europe and um, uh, took up a 
more um, uh, uh, more rigorous academic process. Wow. Okay. So you you were just kind of hired in there as a developer, right? And then then that just kind of ended up being your project. Then you got passionate about it and decided to to take that next step and do the learning on it. Is that correct? Like the the PhD? Okay. Yes. Okay. You're, she's nodding. So, <laughs> um, okay. So that makes sense. That's awesome. So like, I mean, all right. So, so you went from there and then how did you decide like, Hey, I want to create a business out of this skill after you got your PhD on it. Yeah. So, uh, there were like, you know, during my PhD, it was, it was a lot of travel as well. Like, you know, we, uh, it was under the European Framework Program, which was very interesting because it was um, uh, around uh, six universities, uh, involving six universities. So we got to travel quite a bit around uh, within Europe in six countries and um, work with uh, mm-hmm. different types of people. So I got a lot, lot of exposure, but also I was part of a project that was um, uh, at that time, the government was uh, trying to build, um, uh, trying to take uh, the AI Institute's help in terms of uh, building um, an automated system for uh, helping government organizations and consumer organizations in uh, sorting through the customer uh, complaints and customer claims that uh, they were filing against large enterprises. Uh, in Spain, one of the uh, no- notorious uh, organizations and one of the biggest telecom organizations was Telefonica. Nobody loved uh, the brand um, and uh, <laughs> There were a um, huge number of claims and complaints about um, uh, this kind of organizations. So um, I was excited to you know, take part in this and build solutions for them. Uh, but uh, digging a little bit deeper and interviewing a few of such organizations at that time, some of the airlines, um, large telecoms, I realized the number of um, queries that come into these organizations are enormous. Like, you know, no human can ever tackle such um, uh, numbers. And um, I thought first it was, you know, enterprises are deliberately doing this. Like, you know, they don't want to have, you know, provide a great (laughs) customer experience. But looking deeper into it, you know, it was almost impossible. Telefonica was getting around 7 billion complaints per year. And, you know, uh, that was... That was beyond anybody's capacity to kind of, you know, handle. So uh, that's when I realized, you know, there is needs to be a human augmentation using artificial intelligence. Not just that, uh, humans are not made to, you know, sit day in and day out to listen to complaints and claims. And it, it would kind of drive the nuts out of any, any person. So um, uh, AI systems are, you know, much more suited for uh, such kind of activities and, you know, even customer service and, you know, you, you bring the human element, but the rest of it has to be, you know, augmented by AI. So that's when I realized there is a huge potential for, you know, uh, providing this at scale for um, supporting these organizations. Okay. Seven billion. I mean, does doesn't that mean they just kind of suck at what they're doing? If there's seven billion complaints, like, I mean, are they just like terrible? Like, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, I don't know. What do you think they're doing something wrong on the product side, maybe, or the experience? Hey, side? It's um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, like, you know, if you look at um, uh, the utility companies here in the U.S., like, you know, I was just looking at. Um, 
last month's um, electricity bill, and I realized that you know the uh, the verified um, data that they were taking was not verified and it was not correct. So we complained, and then uh, they refunded the entire amount. So I was looking at all the past five years, like you know the times that I haven't really looked at any of those data. Uh, all of those were like you know somebody randomly putting some data out there. So like, you know, those were all opportunities that I didn't really, you know, look as a uh, consumer. But, you know, if I had looked, I would have, you know, had that many calls made to those organizations um, because I realized it was all, you know. So there is, um, I think, inefficiencies in every such large organizations. Um, uh, but, you know, it is uh, sometimes it's very evident uh, in some organizations. Sometimes it's not so much. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that brings me to this question is like, what do you think is the number one biggest problem that AI can solve? Um, one is, uh, I believe uh, uh, there are two parts to that answer. One is like, if the, the fundamental thing is AI should be able to understand the human intent, uh, what um, as a user we are trying to accomplish. If um, if we are able to understand that, then I think AI can do a lot of um, uh, support. One is uh, helping uh, to figure out a solution for you know whatever the user intent is, um, whether it's a request, whether it's a information um, uh, response, or you know whether it's uh, some efficiency uh, request. So all of this can be handled uh, once the user um, intent is understood. And then you can also provide a lot of automation behind the scenes so that, you know, these things are fast forwarded. So imagine the kind of experience that Amazon provides. Like if you want to have a coffee machine today, uh, you just go to uh, Amazon or similar kind of websites within a couple of clicks and two hours in waiting, uh, you have the coffee machine at your doorstep. So that's the kind of experience that um, uh, consumers are more and more getting used to these days and they expect the same kind of experience with financial services, with your health provider, with your insurance provider and so on. And we are not getting that experience. So that's where I think um, this very same experience, like you know, if you can um, actually move physical goods across the world um, in like, you know, in, in with such efficiency, like, you know, why can't we move uh, financial goods which are not physical uh, which are just, you know, changing some digits uh, in uh, some accounts. Uh, why can't we do that? So that's um, that's a question that we pose to ourselves, and AI uh, should be the answer to that. Okay, I love that. And so, so like, what's the tangible outcome that your solution provides? Just so people can visualize it a little deeper, like in the financial services space. Um, so let me give you a very, you know, very simplistic example. So every wealth um, interaction, wealth or insurance interaction, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, I know that in Asian countries it's different. It's much more advanced. Uh, and here uh, it starts and ends with a form. Um, so if you want to change the beneficiaries for your life insurance, you have to find the right form, mm -hmm. fill it up and send it to somebody. Uh, if you want to enroll yourself, do the same. So any process, any key business processes in the wealth insurance starts and ends with a form. Um, as our um, Cognicord's financial digital experts uh, is, you know, you can imagine it as a personal assistant for you. Um, just ask the assistant, uh, what form should I use for a beneficiary change? 
um, and the uh, assistant brings up the right form, opens it up there for you, fills up your data from like, you know, the CRM system that behind the scenes that is connected to the home office and uh, then, you know, sent it to you, whoever uh, else is required uh, for DocuSign. So all of this is a connected experience. Within two minutes, you are done. If you have any question, filling in any rest of the data, the AI assistant is right there answering your questions. How do you fill this field? What does it mean? This field means like you know, all of those information are given to you in real time. You don't have to pick up the phone and call somebody. Uh, it will also not let you to you know, send this uh, without making sure that you, know, you have filled all the areas. There is no errors. So that, you know, one big problem of NIGO cases, not in good order, that is around 30% of uh, all forms submitted in this uh, industry comes back as with errors and they have to repeat the process. So all of those are eliminated. A two weeks process is reduced to less than two minutes. Everybody's happy. Oh, yeah. I mean, two weeks to two minutes. I mean, there's... Uh... And I've been through what you're talking about, right? Where it's like you you get on and they're like, hey, all right, what's your number? Like, what's your card number? Like, even when you just call in, all right, what's your card number? Put that in there. And then you transfer to someone else. You're like, okay, well, what's what's <laughs> the uh, the rest of the card number, right? And then you put it in. And then you get someone live and they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, you guys should know all this already. This is like the third time I've entered this data. So um, <laughs> I can imagine just, uh, the sheer benefits based on that alone, almost being, it almost sounds like it's like a middleware, like pulling from a lot of different data sources and then also being like, Hey, by the way, this is what it's for. Like if you need it. Right. So, um, <laughs> which is great. Cause like, I literally was trying to do one change in it. I had to be on hold for an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and like, like, and it was, it was tiny. It wasn't significant. But that was the process I had to go through multiple phone trees. I couldn't get it online. So I'm not going to say the name of the big financial institution, but I'm very unhappy with them right now. So um, anyways, okay, so that's great. So what what other industries besides financial services do you think are ripe for AI? Um, there are a lot of industries um, in terms of ripe. I wouldn't say like, you know, um, it depends on, you know, their, their um, uh, uh, other external macro events and macro forces that is pushing them forward to uh, adopt these technologies. If there is no uh, forces, external forces, I don't think any any firm, any business would adopt AI or for that matter, any change. They wouldn't embrace any change. Um, uh, so in financial services, there are some you know macro forces um, kind of forcing them to adopt these technologies. Some of them are, as you know, Financial fintechs are kind of disrupting financial services. Uh, so right. one of my favorite quotes is um, banks are not necessary, but banking is. So like you know, anyone can build banking services, but you don't need banks for that. Um, so, uh, so they are getting disrupted massively. Um, another macro um, trend is uh, wealth is getting transferred massively as, as we speak. A generational shift in wealth is happening. So uh, the massive amount of wealth is coming to younger generation and, you know, their interaction with the systems are completely different. So they have they are forced to adopt a different strategy. Um, combined with the acceleration due to COVID, uh, like, you know, we are all um, forced to embrace new technologies. And uh, finally, the great migration wave, uh, great resignation wave, which is um, kind of forcing 
um, you know, there is a lot of changes and M&A activities that is going on. Uh, and in every firm, advisors are new, call center agents are new. Nobody knows um, the information that needs to be, needs to, you know, work all of these things out. So AI can really help. So these factors are combined together, are uh, ripe for an industry to adopt um, these technologies. So likewise, if I look at, analyze from those angles, uh, health uh, is another sector that is, um, um, as we all know, like, you know, it's kind of pushed uh, to the forefront of all of our, like, you know, day-to-day uh, -day thinking. And, you know, that is one area I think, you know, it's very um, interesting uh, for disruption at the moment. Well, I can imagine with all the personal health information requirements and HIPAA and everything else, there's tons of opportunity there. It's very archaic, too, with the way things are done systems aren't talking to each other. So that might be a good vertical for you to go after, after the uh, financial services. Um, what do you see as the biggest danger with AI? Um, uh, this is going to be a little bit unconventional. I, I believe the current uh, biggest danger is um, it's misinformation, um, like, you know, the capabilities of artificial intelligence um, are understood in varying degrees by varying stakeholders, and that creates a, um, a disillusionment uh, in in many um, you know AI deployments. Um, so if you look at some of the key deployments, like you know there is a um, huge shift in cost. Like you know one of the big value proposition is that you can uh, reduce cost, um, and uh, what is happening is there is massive projects undertaken using artificial intelligence. Uh, rollouts and um, what you're doing is shifting uh, the cost from maybe a low low um, uh, low cost call center operations to a high cost data science team. Um, so that is what is happening. At the end, there is no ROI realized uh, from this you know massive undertaking, and there is a lot of disillusionment because of that. So that is the current. Um, uh, I believe, like you know, people don't understand you know how to roll out AI, um, and I believe it is a, a combination of uh, process, technology, people. Um, so if these three things come together, um, uh, then you know there is a, um, a successful deployment. Um, and uh, there are there should be a certain level of maturity for the um, uh, artificial intelligence systems. Like you know, everyone is very interested to call their systems AI enabled, but very few people again have AI technologies inside their system. So these things kind of you know make it. Um, it it is not a great place to kind of operate from an enterprise standpoint who are adopting AI technology. So that is the biggest current thread, I believe, is, um, you know, going through artificial intelligence and that can power down um, kind of uh, the, the, um, the strengths that we actually, these systems can deliver, that um, people can get the solution and uh, go the other way. So that I, I believe this time, you know, people are more um, focused on, but so it it may not happen, but there is always a chance for that. Um, in the long term, uh, one of the key uh, problems that I see is um, uh, when you are teaching AI systems, especially the focus that we have on machine learning, which is one part of artificial intelligence, uh, it is using a massive amount of historical data. So if um, mm -hmm. 
in um in that context like you know the the data that we have is um has already have some certain biases that are embedded into it like you know historical social um racial gender biases embedded into that for example if you are um hiring a uh, if you are electing the president of the US um and if you look at the historical data there has always been you know white male candidates mm-hmm. uh, of certain age yeah. group um so if you take that data and feed into the ai system then you would reject all female candidates as the next future president of the us um so um because you know you have never had that kind of a data so it learns from you know historical data it learns from examples uh, it's also the peril of uh, machine learning it's one particular type of artificial intelligence and but that is the mainstream um uh, technology that is used in cognicor we use a combination of technologies so that we don't have this bias uh, but um when the mainstream is using that uh, this kind of existing um, biases will get amplified through artificial intelligence and also um uh, it would become permanent so you will never be able to remove those biases once it is encoded in the system and because you know it has scale because of the inherent nature of artificial intelligence uh it becomes amplified uh, in a scalable uh, much more global scale so that i believe is one of the huge uh, threat uh, that is facing the you know humanity in the so if we are not being careful in how we are designing ai systems there is a huge um uh threat that is awaiting us yeah that's i So I first of all I didn't think you were going to go the route of people people substituting low cost employees for for high cost data scientists so that that was really interesting and then it's basically like it's like it's it's scaling bias and biases and prejudices and then making it permanent so like I've never really heard of it talked about that way but now they I mean that example of the president United States, I think that's a great way to to kind of position it um because that's that's I could see where if you just feed that in the computer they think that that's the only the way to go moving forward but that's not true. So, okay, that's wow, that's really interesting. I love that. That well, I don't love that that's a concern but <laughs> I love that you had that insight to be able to share that because that's not something that I've heard before. So, let me ask you this. So, you got a cutting edge almost some would say bleeding edge technology that you're providing for organizations. What's the number one single biggest challenge you have in in growing your business right now and growing revenue with the type of solution that you have? Um so um I would say two um challenges it's not one uh, single challenge one is of course the uh, availability of funds so we are a uh, revenue run organization so like you know we um we are not a venture funded so that has its own challenges in terms of our you know ability to grow uh, and accelerate the growth so we are looking at um you know how to change that situation so we would probably most probably um end up um taking institutional investment um in the you know near future to grow more aggressively uh the other uh, challenge that we are seeing is um um in terms of um adoption of uh, these technologies um in the um um by the enterprise stakeholders and um uh, uh, for example if you have a call center solution you know you have people call centers 
Um, so there is already some existing solution. So doing nothing is sometimes an option, and that becomes one of the um, most preferred option for many uh, enterprises. And um, uh, while um, you know that is against you know innovate or perish kind of you know m most people don't understand that um, that mechanism, but um, they continue to kind of choose down the path of. Um, what is existing is enough. So we are competing constantly against um, what is existing, um, and um, that um, that shift in adoption, that shift in mentality of like you know this kind of solutions can really uh, augment your efficiency, help you grow faster, and things like that is um, um, is um, the absorption of those kinds of messages needs to be more mainstream. Yeah, that, well, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a little insight, Sindhu, is that that's the number one biggest reason why enterprise deals don't get done. And the reason why that the human psychological factor behind that, because I've seen it, is because people are afraid that if they make the wrong decision, they're going to get fired. So they're like, hey, it's as easier to do nothing, you know, like, who cares if it saves the company a little bit? So there's some really really critical things you got to do as you go through the process to get people comfortable. But yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that most people face. So, um, so, okay. So, so on, let's, let's flip it on its head. So, so what do you see working really well right now? Or what do you think as a company you do exceptionally well um, in terms of, of, of growing your revenue? We have a few couple of things that's going on in our favor. One is like, you know, we have an exceptional product, a platform that- um, Of course, um, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is um, uh, different from our competitors. You know, one of our, you know, key competitors is Salesforce and their platform, um, uh, you know, is, um, uh, they, they do have a CRM system that is, you know, uh, wonderful that is adopted uh, in the financial services as the mainstream. Uh, but, you know, they try to piggyback uh, the other solu automation solution on top of it, but, you know, doesn't always work. Um, so we, we do have a um, technological advantage in terms of um, the um, um, uh, in impressing or um, convincing our stakeholder buyers. So that is one thing. And uh, our focus on the vertical um, uh, space is one of the key things because um, there are many platforms out there which are like kind of a dry platform. You take it and you make out what you can make out of it. Uh, ours come with understanding of the domain and uh, our knowledge graph uh, driven process makes it uh, easy for um, uh, uh, companies to deploy our solution. So just to give you an example, our digital experts um, come with understanding. If you ask, uh, how do I do an ACH transfer request? It understands that of the, you know, of the package, like you don't have to train it on anything. Uh, so all of those, like, you know, when do I send a form CRS? It understands that question. So uh, all the uh, wealth management domain and insurance domain are um, packaged and trained uh, within the platform itself. So that becomes a single most um, uh, kind of enabler for us to, you know, sell faster. And, you know, there is no 
comparison when it comes to other platforms. So it's it's kind of a no-brainer decision for them to make within this industry. So this vertical focus has you know enabled us to you know uh, really do that. Do that. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you, Sindhu. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.